we're in a series called The Fruit of the Spirit, and uh, we're looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Have you memorized it yet, The Fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit, the things that the Holy Spirit grows in the life of a follower of Jesus, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? Love. Okay, how many are looking at the screen? You're cheating. Look at me. Eye contact. Here we go. The fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? Love. Then what? Joy. Peace. Good job. Just stop there because that's where we're going to be today is in peace. And so just memorize one a week. I, I challenge you to memorize those things. They can be a source for prayer. The Holy Spirit will use that uh, as he focuses and, and guides your life. But today we're talking specifically about peace. And I don't know about you, but you, you look around in the world and people I think are searching for and longing for peace maybe more than any other time in our lifetimes. Do you see that? I mean, they want peace internally. I want peace internally. Peace in, uh, just in the world, in the streets. You feel the, the anxiety of just all the things happening in the world today. You know, a Washington Post article earlier this summer came out, uh, early spring actually, in May, uh, and it, it said that close to 35% of Americans at that time were demonstrating uh, uh, demonstrating the effects of clinical anxiety. And when they compared to, in the same study, uh, those who were experiencing just a depressed mood compared to a similar study in 2013 and 2014, it had increased from 25% of adults, it had doubled to 50% of adults experiencing that. And that's before George Floyd that's before college football was canceled, if you're a Big Ten fan. That's before not knowing what's going to happen. That's before when we thought, oh, this will surely be done by the time we hit the end of August. I would imagine that number is the same, if not higher, today. Have you experienced that over the last few weeks and months? I have. You know, I mean, uh, anxiety about so many different things, about the pandemic, about now school, uh, the riots, the election, <laughs> finances, my health, the health of my family. Am I going to have a job next week? Is everything going to shut down next month? Like, like, what's going on? I just want peace. There's good news for you because uh, Jesus offers that peace. And we're going to look this morning uh, as, as much as we can in the short time we have together at what the Bible teaches about that peace and how to lay hold of that peace and, and to allow the Holy Spirit to grow that peace within you. So with that, let me pray. And then we're going to explore this fruit of peace today. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And thanks for your grace to us in him. Uh, Jesus, thanks that though we were far off, and alienated from you, you drew us near to you. You made us your friends and give us your peace so that we can have peace with others and with our circumstances. Holy Spirit, would you uh, come and teach us now? Fill me and use me as we uh, study this fruit that you uh, long to grow in our lives and that we long to experience and have. Might you bring peace today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we really talk about how you get that peace, first we got to talk about the fact that there's, there's an underlying issue here before you can ever experience the peace of God. 
And that is that you need peace with God. If you don't have peace with God, you can never experience the peace of God. And what am I talking about when I say that? Well, the reality is that all of us, we start our lives not as friends of God, or sometimes you hear, oh, we're all children of God, except that's not what the Bible teaches. We start actually as his enemies. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks to this fact. Paul's writing to a church in Ephesus, church of believers, and he says this, you were dead. That's who you were. You were, you were dead. That's how the Bible speaks of, of our condition in our sin, apart from Jesus Christ, that it's, we're going through life just as zombies. We're, we're dead. And we were dead. How were we dead? Well, in our sins and our trespasses and sins, the ways we used to walk. If you're a Christian, that's how you used to be. If you're not a Christian yet, this is a description of you. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. See, you were dead. You were among the sons of disobedience, not, not children of God. And in verse three, he goes on and, and says this, among whom we all once lived, we were all like that, in other words. Sometimes people want nothing to do with Jesus, want nothing to do with God because they look at Christians and they go, they just think they're better than everybody else, but I know how messed up they are because my brother's one or my dad's one or my coworker is and claims to be, and I know he's just as messed up as everyone else that I know. Well, the reality is, friends, we are all a bunch of hypocrites, but by God's grace, he's in the process of saving us. You're like, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be with those hypocrites. Hey, we'll take another one. Come on. We'd love for you to be here with us. See, we were all like that, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and we were by nature. Our identity was we were children of wrath, just like everyone else. To be a child of God's wrath means that, that uh, I, in my sin, am... Uh, under judgment for my sin. Not just in terms of consequences in my life, but in terms of eternally before a holy and perfect God. And that I'm a child of his wrath, that that's my inheritance. His wrath. And friends, that's how we all begin life. He goes on later, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, he says, remember, you were, at that time, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated. And you had no hope, and you were living without God in the world. We heard Randy's story. Randy, that was your story, wasn't it? And by God's grace, though, Randy's now been brought near. But, but that's how he was. Friends, that's how we all were. And maybe even how some of you are today, but there's hope for you. There's hope for you because uh, Romans chapter five tells us this. Romans five tells us this, starting in verse eight, that while we were, uh, we were still, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. In, in fact, uh, one of the things that Paul goes on to say, he uses the language in your translation, even of that verse, might even say that while we were still God's enemies. See, God is perfectly holy, perfectly just. And so in our sin, uh, rather than be a friend of God, we're actually his enemies. And that's where we start life is from the perspective and from the position of being God's enemy. 
You know, uh, Randy mentioned earlier, I'm going to try this. I tried it in the first service. It didn't work, so we're going to try it again. That uh, when we got together, I drew this little description for him of where he was at and what life, the reality of life is. And I said, imagine, Randy, you've got this little cliff and over here, you might imagine this for you, there's you. That's you. Probably, maybe with a smile on your face, maybe not. And on the other side is God. And the Bible teaches that uh, in our sin, the, the reality is that when things were created, everything began, God and man, we were together in, in harmony with God. But in our sin, it separated us. And, and our sin separates us from God. It creates this huge chasm. I mean, imagine not just like a small one, but imagine like the Grand Canyon. Any of you long jump in track? I didn't, in case you were wondering if that's where I was going. I did not. I didn't run track. I, don't, I, I run if somebody's chasing me, not for fun. So, uh, but it, it'll, imagine you're the best long jumper in the world, and you're like, I can, I can jump that gap. And so you train and you train and you do all the good things you can do and you run and you try to jump that gap. You take off and, and it looks pretty good for a second, right? You take a leap and it's like slow motion, chariots of fire is playing in the background. Dun, 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 and you're going, but then all of a sudden you do your best impression of Wiley e. Coyote and <laughs> See, that's the reality of the way so many of us in our sin, we try to live our life and we think that if we do enough good things, maybe we can have peace with God. If, if I do this, God will love me. If I do this, it'll bring me peace. If I do this or have this or experience this, I'll feel better. But the reality is every time that we do that, what, what, you know what's really happening? We're falling short. See, Romans says that uh, we all fall short of the glory of God in our sin. No matter how many old ladies you help cross the street, no matter how many good things, you, it's never enough. You always, and not just a little bit short, but like Grand Canyon short. The greatest works you could ever do on your own fall short. And, and that the wages then of sin, if you tried to jump off the edge of the Grand, you ever been to the Grand Canyon? You ever seen how huge it is? Hannah and I went to, uh, went to Arizona on our honeymoon, and we went to visit the Grand Canyon one of those days, and there were people who would like go beyond the rails and go right out to the edge and look. And I just thought, what a fool, man. I'm scared like three feet behind the rail. There's no way I'm going out there. Because if you fall, it's certain death. Well, if, if you try to do this, try to make peace with God on your own, every attempt you make... It, Friends, it's certain death and the wages of sin, the thing that you earn for that sin is death. And not just physical death, but eternal death separated from God as a child of wrath under the punishment for sin. And you're like, that doesn't sound fair. Well, then listen, God isn't just if he doesn't punish sin. Do you feel that at times where you look at something in the world and you're like, why, why doesn't, I mean, I just... 
wish somebody would take care of that. I wish they would get what they deserve for that, like that, that evil. Listen, that's part of you bearing God's image. God is a just God and he punishes sin, but he's also patient sometimes not to punish it so that maybe you're here today understanding this truth. That the wages of sin is death, you always fall short. But then Paul says, as we read, the free gift of God is eternal life because while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. See, the, the, the way to get to God, to have peace with God, I don't know if we, they'll come back, there we go, is perfection. See, any sin causes us to fall short. God is a perfect and holy and just God. And so for us to be in his presence, he has to deal with our sin. And the good news is he has. And he's done it through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ, friends, what he does is when Jesus dies on the cross, forgive my messy drawing, he makes peace between us and God. And it's like this bridge across that chasm that, that reconciles us with God and creates peace. And so uh, now you have a choice. You can either try to find that peace on your own and run and jump, see if you can make it across the Grand Canyon of your sin. Or you can recognize, no, there's actually, there's a bridge, there's a way across. And it's in Jesus Christ. And it happens by stepping out on it and trusting him, putting your full faith and trust in him to carry you across and to give you peace. And maybe a better illustration than a bridge is like God with this big crane that reaches over and grabs you because he does it all and then takes you to be with him. Friends, before you can ever have the peace of God, you need peace with God. And the great news is this, that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you and me, even when we were dead, even when we were way across that canyon, he made us alive together with Christ. And it's by grace that you've been saved. By grace. What does that mean that you're saved? Well, that illustration, you've been saved. In other words, here's the idea. Two things. One, you were in terrible danger. You're unable to rescue yourself. You... And someone came to rescue you. The reality of being saved by grace is that you were in terrible danger. You were a child of wrath. But someone, Jesus, came to rescue you. And he makes peace between you and God. In fact, Ephesians 2.13, Now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Friend, if you want to experience the peace of God, you have to make peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection. See, through him, he reconciled all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. And to become a Christian then isn't to come to church or to watch online. It's, it's to, to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And trusting him is believing the truth about him, but also believing the truth about you that you need a savior. And many of us already already believe that, already. Already, already? Yeah, believe that. Because we know how messed up we are. 
we know we've been searching for that peace, for that joy, for that love. And it's available to you in Jesus Christ so that though you were dead, you could be alive. And the thing is that you move then from being God's enemy to being his friend. Jesus says that I no longer call you my servant, but now I call you my friend. Can you imagine to be a friend of God? If you're a Christian, if you put your trust in Jesus, you're a friend of the creator of the universe. And if you're still, haven't made that choice, you can become his friend, like close friend real life friend. And the sum of the matter, I think it's summed up well by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 26. He says, O Lord, you will ordain peace for us for you indeed have done for us all of our works. Jesus did it all. He didn't do anything but to trust him. In fact, I want to look with you for a little bit at Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 24 through 27. Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament. It lives hundreds of years before Christ and makes some of the most profound claims about Jesus. That, uh, that Jesus or any person could never really self-fulfill, but that are all perfectly fulfilled hundreds of years later in the person of Jesus Christ, pointing to his deity, to him truly being one who can save us and who did save us. But one of the things Isaiah prophesies about in chapters 24 through 27 is things that are yet to come. That whole idea of being a child of God's wrath and and what's going to happen to God's enemies. In chapter 24 specifically, uh, it's some pretty sobering language of how God will judge his enemies. And uh, we don't have time to look at it this morning, but if you get a chance, I'd encourage you to go read that with a sober mind and a sober heart. But then in chapter 25, you realize that he's going to preserve those who are his people who've trusted him. And in chapter 26, you get to chapter 26 and you realize that he, if you've been one who's been saved, he's going to protect you. In fact, look at this in chapter 26. In that day, Again, this is looking to the future, but there's application for us today. In that day, this song, Isaiah says, will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as, as walls and bulwarks. See, when you're saved, you're rescued from that terrible spot by someone else. Now, it's like you're entering into a city And God sets up salvation now as as strong walls, as a bulwark to protect you and to guard you. And he's like, open the gates. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. The, The way into that city, again, it's by faith. It's not by anything you do. It's by everything Jesus done. He's done all our works and guaranteed our peace. And it's simply putting your faith in him. That can be had by anyone. And as you do that, once you make peace with God and you enter this this metaphoric city of salvation, then check out verse three. And you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That if you want the peace of God first, friend, you need peace with God. And then that brings the peace of God for you. That brings the peace of God The peace of God is described in Scripture often by the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, shalom. You ever heard that? In fact, if you would go to Israel today, often people will greet you and they'll say, shalom. 
and it's this greeting of peace. And now, when you think of peace, what do you think of? Do you just think of kind of calm, you know, no anxiety, everything's kind of going my way? But really, the idea of biblical peace and the fruit of peace, I believe, that the Spirit grows in us and the idea of shalom is much more than just calm. It's really a picture of, of wholeness. So not, not just peace in terms of my circumstances, but peace in terms of my, my mental state, my emotions, my spiritual well-being, wholeness. That's the idea of peace. You ever play Jenga? I've got some Jenga set up here. If we had time, I'd invite a few of you up and, and challenge you. But Jenga is a game where, uh, you know, you stack these blocks and you can pull pieces out and then you stack it on top. And um, the idea is to see how far you can go as it becomes less and less whole and build it and, and make it taller. But now I wonder, have you ever played Jenga with a kid? There's two types of kids. There's kids like my son, Charlie, who doesn't like Jenga so much as he likes knocking them down. And then there's other kids, though, and Charlie will grow into this as he matures to where just total disappointment that they can't win. And so maybe you're, you're playing a child and, and they pull one out and you're like, ah, that's a bad one. You point them a different direction or even as they pull it, you just kind of hold it steady and guard it so it doesn't fall. Friends, the idea of wholeness is almost like reverse Jenga, where the Holy Spirit comes back and he begins putting these pieces back. And even more than that, even when some that are kind of knocked out, it's almost as if he takes it, puts it back, but he's also maybe like a kid or like you playing with a kid, he's guarding it and keeping it whole. Because the reality is that as you go through life, there are going to be things that come along and, you know, pull pieces out. And sometimes you can survive with one or two or three getting knocked out and you make it and uh, you need to return to God's word and allow the spirit again to, to make you whole again and to rebuild that and grow that fruit in your life. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit basically guarding you, we're going to see that here in a moment, of guarding your mind, guarding your peace. As soon as you pull the wrong piece, what happens? Game over. And now some of you, I just created a lot of anxiety because I'm going to leave that just like that for the rest of the message. But that's the idea of peace, of shalom, of, of wholeness. And in fact, Jesus says that the peace I leave with you, the peace I give you, is not like the world gives. He gives peace that's complete, that makes you whole. And all of us, that, that's the process of sanctification after you trust Jesus. We're all lacking, but the Holy Spirit growing these things in us, he's, he's bringing us shalom. He's making us into our true selves. He's giving us true peace that's enduring. But friends, you'll never experience that peace of God until you have peace with God. And it yields a, a fruit of peace that grows within us. Philippians chapter 4 describes this maybe as well as any place in Scripture. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me there. If you uh, get to Galatians or Ephesians or Colossians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, go eat popcorn. You can remember that if you're trying to remember the order of them. 
But he says this in chapter four, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The, the peace of God, it, the Holy Spirit, he will, one, he, he restores that peace as you trust Jesus Christ, but he also guards it and helps you stay whole. He gives you his peace and he grows that within you. Well, how do you, how do you experience that though? You're like, Josh, I've been a Christian for a long time and I, I still struggle with anxiety. I still struggle with all these things. Listen, that's normal. And you, you, to some degree, we will struggle with those things until Jesus returns and makes us completely whole, right? And so maybe uh, uh, a good step for you might be some counseling. It might be to reach out to someone who can help you. But uh, chances are too, there's some steps you can take to move that direction as well. And, and I think it's exactly what we talked about last week of being rooted in this, being rooted in God's word, of, of, of studying his word, meditating on it, thinking a lot about it. Uh, Colossians, uh, last week I, I shared Colossians chapter three, verse 16 with you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, that's kind of Paul's prescription for what comes right before that in verse 15, where he says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. Be thankful. Thankfulness yields peace. Uh, getting rooted, letting the word of Christ dwell in you yields peace. Being rooted in it grows. That, that, that's, the, that's the soil that's gonna grow fruit in your life. This is where the Holy Spirit it saps up nutrients into your life and grows that fruit within you of love and joy and peace and patience. We'll talk about next Sunday. So there's that peace within. And the thing is that all of these fruits... They, uh, they grow internally, right? There's an internal reality about them, but there's also an external expression. So the fruit of love. When the fruit of love grows in me, my heart grows in love for God and love for others, and, but it also seeps out into the way I live towards others, right? There's an external expression of that love. Same with joy. Joy grows within me, but then there's an external expression of it. And in peace, there's an internal growing, knowing the peace of God within my heart. And this one may be more profoundly than some of the others even, just that, that peace but then there's also an external expression of it in the way I carry myself, but in the way I interact with others and the way I deal with my circumstances so that peace with God brings the peace of God and it helps me to make peace, that external expression. It's peace in action is what it is. See, many of us struggle with that internal peace, but also I would say many of us struggle with that external peace and Maybe for you, before we come back and wrap up talking about that internal peace again, maybe there's some things or some people or some circumstances in your life where you need to make peace externally with others. You need to make peace with others. Well, the peace of God growing in you will enable you to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, most famous sermon, 
Blessed are the who? The peacemakers. The ones who make peace. Why? They'll be called what? Sons of God. Children of God. Remember back to Ephesians? Paul said that we were all once not children of God, but we were children of what? Wrath. Yet as we trust Jesus Christ, uh, we're made... uh, children of God. And so uh, Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called sons of God. And, and that peace is expressed now in our life as the Holy Spirit grows it in us. We're, we're brand new. You need to be a peacemaker. Who do you need to make peace with? You're like, Josh, you don't know the circumstance, man. You, you, you don't know what they did. You don't know what's happened. You don't know the extended period of time. You're right, I don't. And it could very well be that, um, that it's not going to be anything you can do to reconcile. But Paul would say, as far as it depends on you, have you done what you can do? He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, I'll say two things here. We can err on one side or the other on this. We can either err to the side where we're doing everything and we just, we run our lives trying to make peace with somebody that it's just not going to happen. Sometimes that happens. More often, though, we live on this side going, yeah, I'm not going to get to that side, so I'm going to stay over here and I'm not going to even try. Who do you need to make peace with? As far as it depends on you, do what you can. Trust the Holy Spirit, take a nap as far as it depends on you. So for some of us, we need to make peace with others. You can be praying about that. But for some of us, uh, all of us really, we need to learn more and more to make peace with our circumstances. And Paul's description of peace in Philippians 4, he kind of gives us uh, some strategy to go about that. And this helps, too, in making peace with others, too. But look at verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. These things. Literally, it means fill your mind with these things. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all, that'll guard your mind. Friends, you need to guard your thoughts. I need to guard my thoughts. One of the thoughts too, you need to guard your moral outrage in a day and age like we live in. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, you look around, like there's, there's so many things just to get fired up about and everybody wants you to get fired up on their side of whatever it is. Or they like to incite you to get fired up against them. You need to guard your mind and your heart and your anxiety, your, your peace, guard your heart, guard your thoughts. The world wants you to think continually about the exact opposite of these things. Whatever is untrue, whatever is dishonorable, whatever is unjust, whatever is not pure, whatever is disgusting and despicable, whatever uh, is, is fill in the blank. The, the world is trying to get us to think about those things. And, and when you're constantly thinking of those things, it poisons your mind and anxiety swell. Have you experienced that? I think we all have. 
And when you're full of anxiety, insecurity, despair, your heart isn't at peace and you're consumed by the storm. Social media is the opposite of Philippians chapter 4. By most accounts. There's a few good things there, but for the most part, think about it. I mean, and not everything you read on social media is true. Not everything you think after being on social media now is true. Not everything you believe is true. Paul says, think about whatever is true. What are you filling your mind with? This world wants you to be consumed and fixated on posting on things that are the opposite of this list, making that the center of your thoughts and your passions and poisoning your mind. Instead of being consumed with God's word, you get consumed with filth. So let me challenge you. Start your day with God's word. <clears throat> Start your day here. You know, did you try that this week? In, in Psalm 119, or maybe Psalm 1, and I don't know about you, as, as I did that, I would look, and then I'd, my mind, I just kept reading, and I'd see something else on the page, and I'd turn the page, and, and all of a sudden, instead of just a couple minutes, it was many more, where I was thinking God's thoughts. See, start your day here. Maybe if you didn't do it this week, try it this week. Just start with one verse. Read it. Pray it back to God. Meditate on it. Think, how does that affect my life? Where do I need to change? And then think God's thoughts, things that are true and honorable and just before you log on to Facebook or turn on CNN or Fox News and be given all kinds of other thoughts to think. Start with God's thoughts. Guard your thoughts. Guard your mind. He's the source of joy. He's the source of peace. He himself is our peace and helps me navigate life with his peace. And this happens moment to moment, but it's also a product of time and of faithfulness. And, and a lot of times we want to fix for these things right now. And, and often, uh, returning, calming my heart, going to God's word, it does give me peace for a moment, but it's over time as I do it continually that that fruit of peace grows to abundance in my life. Friends, just as we close... Um, you know, as, as you work through some of these things, let me point you back to, to more of chapter four in Philippians. You, this week, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The end of verse five says, the Lord is at hand. And then it goes on, says, don't be anxious about anything. And it feels like that, that, that little phrase, the Lord is at hand, is just kind of this throwaway phrase at the end of that verse. Like, that's kind of strange that he'd throw that in there. Well, remember, the verse, the little numbers there aren't inspired. They were added later just so we could find our way around God's word. I think that thought more rightly goes with the next verse. Not the end of verse five, but starting in verse six. The Lord's at hand, so don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All of us struggle in some way, shape, or form from small ways to, to overwhelming ways with things like anxiety and depression and despair. And they're really, it's a really lonely place. Would you agree? And so when I read uh, the end of verse 5 into verse 6, the Lord's at hand. 
Don't be anxious. That's great hope. See, even though in my anxiety I might be lonely, I might be sitting up at night unable to sleep, uh, knowing I'm not alone is a key to overcoming it. Knowing God's with me through it is huge. Because in my loneliness, I become forgetful of God. I need to remember he's near. He, he, didn't, he didn't make us like as stones, like where we just don't feel those things. But when distressing, frightening, hopeless things happen to us, we struggle, we feel those things. But knowing that there's a God who's near, who meets me in my place of struggle, helps me through and can help you through. And I would challenge you then, knowing he's near, he can guard your mind. And so finally, friends, this week, let's, let's do this together. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's pure, and lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise. Think about these things. The God of peace will be with you, he says in verse nine. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks, Jesus, that you um, made peace for us with God by, by paying the penalty for our sin on the cross and that in doing so, as we trust you, you give us your peace. Not like the world gives, but you make us whole and complete and you're making us whole even to the end when we'll be with you forever. And then, Lord, uh, would you help that fruit grow to such a degree in our lives that, that you would help us to make peace with others that we need to, with, with our circumstances, even uh, guarding our thoughts and our, our minds. Friend, if, if you've never made peace with God, it's really simple. Simply acknowledging uh, that you're a sinner, that, that you're separated from God. Remember that drawing, that big chasm between you and a perfect holy God, and that nothing you could ever do would ever get you across. But Jesus Christ offers to take you, to rescue you, to do all the work. And your only responsibility is to turn to him in faith and believe upon him and put your trust in him. And as you do, you will be saved. It's just, just crying out to God, God, I need you. I need a savior. Please save me in Jesus. Amen.